Hello, I'm Michelle Boyd-Waters with the Rethink ELA podcast, and as you may have noticed, I took a rather significant break over the summer. I decided I'm actually going to give myself permission to take a break from recording podcast episodes over the summer and start focusing on publishing them just during the school year and not when we have breaks, so I'm going to have some better work-life balance. I tell you that because I'm also going to be really busy this semester with some conferences. I am going to be presenting at the International Writing Center Association in October. That is in, let's see, that is in Baltimore. And I'll also be at the National Conference on Peer Tutoring in Writing in Pittsburgh in November. And I'll also be at the National Council of Teachers of English Conference in Columbus, Ohio in November. And also I will be at the Allen Workshop, which follows NCTE. So I hope to see you all there. And finally, the reason why we are here is I've had the opportunity to interview a colleague and fellow researcher at the University of Oklahoma. She's Christine Chapman, and she is sharing her experiences as a Black student and why she became a teacher and how teachers can connect with and teach students from different cultures and backgrounds. She's got some really good advice. I've been listening to her um, in classes and outside of classes for years, and I'm I know she's got some excellent information that will help us kind of rethink what we are doing. And she's also going to be talking as part of this about the importance of focusing on critical thinking, uh, teaching texts that represent global perspectives while still meeting the standards, and also uh, giving kind of her secret to a mindset change that can help you build trust in your classes, which is so important to learning. And then also a really important secret just to getting started. So we'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome to the Rethink ELA podcast, hosted by English language arts teacher, Michelle Waters. Prepare to receive strategies, products, and expert advice tailored to help teachers build social awareness, student agency and voice in their ELA classrooms. Are you looking for ways to help your students write vivid sensory descriptions? Searching for ways to convince them to use their writing tools after an extended break? The Rethink ELA Explode the Moment Narrative Writing Unit features mentor text and exercises to help your students improve their skills within the context of their own stories or the ones they make up. Start with a favorite memory, like the best day ever, or write about a time when they felt important, or choose another positive memory or story that they love to tell. Then share the unit's mentor text for students to study the writer's craft. What worked well? What could the writer have done differently? What would you have written if you responded to that prompt? Even better, I've included a new version of my own essay that you can use to show students how I added, removed, and moved sentences and paragraphs from one version to the next. Once students have written and revised their personal narratives, they can share with their peers, enter contests, or get published. Order your unit now at rethinkela.com slash etmproject. Welcome back to Rethink ELA. I'm your host, Michelle Boyd-Waters, and today I am excited to get a chance to talk to Christine Chapman, and she is one of my colleagues at the University of Oklahoma. We, I believe, are about to take quantitative statistics together, so yeah, Um, (laughs) I'm super, like I said, very glad that you're able to be here with us, and I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Um, I am Christine Chapman, and I am a second-year 
PhD student in instructional leadership and academic curriculum at the University of Oklahoma. I am an English certified teacher, secondary, I'll say, and mm -hmm. um, I taught various subjects, never specifically English, and I will get into why a little later. Okay. Right. Sounds good. So we met through our coursework. I know we had a, a multilingual uh, student class, kind of it's called teaching language, but we also talked about the fact that we had students who were uh, multilingual and we've been in a few other classes together and I've been able to, or I've had the opportunity to kind of witness your work and what is important to you and learn from you and um, expand my understanding of the students that I have or may have the opportunity to teach in the future. And so I, I wanted to bring you in here and uh, really hear what you had to say and kind of ask some um, questions to better understand what we're talking about. Starting out with classroom management within the context that you've been teaching. So if you could kind of tell us about that. Okay. Um, I didn't before tell you that I identify as Black. I am uh -huh. a Black American. And um, I think for a very long time, it has been pushed to teachers, pre-service teachers, um, current service teachers, that race doesn't matter in the classroom and that you should not see color when it comes to your students. And I 100% disagree with that. I believe mm -hmm. that um, students should be seen for who they are when they walk yeah. into the classroom. And the more that we see students for who they are, it's meeting them where they are. And it really does help a lot with classroom management when students are just seen and not yeah. accepted, but just seen. They Students want to be seen. And when a student feels welcomed and seen, um, and valued, they typically tend to um, remain engaged yeah. as far as instruction goes, and they tend to um, not want to disappoint their teachers. They have built Absolutely. a relationship based on a mutual respect. Absolutely. They know that the teacher values them and who they are, where they are, then they're going to want to maintain that, generally speaking. Absolutely. But if you walk in to the classroom or if I walk into the classroom and immediately don't value them or expect them to respect me first or that sort of thing, then I've already lost them. Yes. Or if you just simply don't see them. Yeah. I can say my experience of never having a Black or African-American teacher, um, I felt invisible in most of my educational history. It didn't dawn on me at the time why I wasn't engaged. I didn't make trouble. I just wasn't happy to be there. And it wasn't until um, going to college and actually being seen and valued as a person within the classroom scope, it really made me look at education very differently. And that's why I decided to go into teaching so that I could make sure that students in my care didn't have that same experience of feeling invisible, unvalued, and things like that. So I know you just said that you didn't have any Black teachers until later in your educational career. 
Um, I know I didn't have any until college and I think really only one for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, why is that? So actually I, I've only had one black professor. Um, mm -hmm. I've only had one black person teach me and that's through K through 12. That's through one bachelor's program, through a second bachelor's program, through a master's program, and now a PhD program. I've only had one semester of a Black teacher teaching, and I think a lot of it has to do with why I became a teacher, why I chose to go into education, and it was not having those voices to speak into me how important education was for me as a Black person a lot of times students don't value education because they are taught at, they're kind of taught because they're in the class, but not necessarily having the content developed for them and instead of in spite of them. And when you don't have mindfulness of yourself within a, an educational space, it can tend to make you not necessarily have the best educational experiences. Therefore, you don't necessarily want to go into education. Yeah. One of the main things that um, I do is ask people, and most people ask, why did you become a teacher? And most often someone will have a teacher that they recall that they had this wonderful experience in their classroom and yeah. that is what made them want to go into education and when you are a black person who may not have had those experiences we can understand why um, we have so few black educators yeah absolutely so with that in mind you know, i'm thinking about the teaching workforce as it stands right now the, and the studies that have been conducted indicate that a significant majority of teachers, particularly at the K through 12 level, are white women. And I am a white woman. And I know for me, it took me a very long time to get to a point where I realized that I was approaching things in a way that wasn't working for my students who weren't, you know, your typical white middle class, um, interested in academics students. Yeah. And so I'm wondering at that point, those of us who are fit into that category and who have realized we need to think, re rethink, rethink ER, English language arts classes, you know, and we've got black students in our classes or other students of color and what I'm doing is not working for them. What what do we need to do? What can we do so that we're not that teacher that's devaluing students or um, not providing students with what they need? Well, the first thing is approach your classroom as multicultural spaces. Mm -hmm. um, so there is something that I talk a lot about, and that is a white lens, you're looking mm -hmm. at the world through a very white lens, and it's it's not necessarily bad until you understand it, and it's, you have the opportunity and the privilege to only view TV that has white people, or only have white friends, or only, um, you could particularly be in a bubble, 
And people of color don't have that opportunity. We live in a white world. And so what happens is when you are approaching your teaching and your your instruction and things, many times we can approach it from our own lens. And it's important to um, blend your lens. I call it a blended lens. It's important to take your lens and look at the, the perspective of others. And if you look at things through the perspective of other, others, then it'll allow you to say, okay, I need to check this particular thing that I'm doing if, if I'm only presenting this particular kind of texts or these particular kinds of anything that you're presenting in your class, because this is not just ELA, but specifically for ELA, um, your text choice, it really tells a lot about who you are as a teacher. And when you start to broaden your scope and you start to present different perspectives, um, what it'll do is it'll help students of color feel included. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the things that I'm thinking from hearing what you're talking about and, you know, the term blended lens, I I think what took me such a long time to get to a point where I could hear what you're saying and envision a way to, I guess, enact that in my classroom is that, you know, I went in to teaching from the perspective of I'm going to go in, I'm going to do a great job, I'm going to make my administrators happy. And what was left out was listening to the students. And so what my experience was, is that by starting to listen to the students and giving them space to talk back to me, not, you know, not in a disruptive sort of way, even though sometimes it might have been, but in a way of I'm going to listen to whatever you have to say, however you have to say it, and try to unpack that and what that means in terms of how I'm teaching and how it's impacting you, I I feel like I had to develop some cultural awareness. And I really appreciate all that you have had to say over the semesters, if not years, because it gave me the opportunity to have somebody in person that I could listen to. Um, And then I also went and found a lot of other people online, like, you know, Django Paris and Geneva Gay and Goldie Muhammad and read their works to try to kind of unpack all this and figure out what does this actually look like? Okay. And I think that where we lose a lot of teachers is Uh that we make teachers feel as if they have to do a lot. And Uh we all know teachers are already overworked and underpaid. And so I don't, I don't approach it from the standpoint of you need to do this, this, this. You need to read all of these people. You need to do all of these things. It's just start somewhere. It yeah. is look at different TV shows. Uh-huh. Um, talk to different people and just familiarize yourselves with different cultures. That really serves to become more culturally aware. Um, I know a lot of times we're told, especially in our professional development sessions, you need to read this and you do this and you take this quiz and all of these things. And it's just so overwhelming. And I, like I said before, you know, if you just start somewhere, if you just pick up a book written by an author that you may not have previously read, read that book. Many times we learn about different cultures um, through reading texts. 
people tend to read and write within their own culture. And uh-huh. if you just read texts from different people, different Latino, Hispanic, different African-American, Black, all of the different groups of people, it will help you to just learn a little bit. And if you learn a little bit, it makes you more comfortable, a little more confident. And if students see that you're just enacting a little bit of change, they will actually carry you along. They yes. Really- yes. And, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> I was just thinking that's exactly what happened with me. I was, you know, just kind of floundering in my classroom trying to figure out what in the world am I doing wrong. And uh, one of my colleagues had handed me or had suggested I buy um, All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brennan Keeley. And um, I think there was The Hate You Give. And the first book I handed to, or Jason Reynolds' book, I handed it to one of my students who was a young Black man who I was felt like I was struggling trying to reach out to him. And he handed it back to me later and said, Mrs. Waters, you need to read this book. I'm like, oh. Okay, that's that's unusual. And I I seriously thought about setting it aside and not picking it up. But something just in the back of my mind is like, when a kid that you're struggling to reach tells you you need to read the book, you need to put everything down and read the book. (laughs) There's something in there that they want to teach you. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And so I read that book and I followed that up with The Hate You Give. And what I thought was going to be a mirror for him was actually a window for me to kind of quote Redeem Sims Bishop. Um, and, and that's where I started in figuring out what, you know, are, what are these perspectives that I'm not understanding, you know, what's going on in the world that I'm not getting. Absolutely. And that is one of the reasons, as I uh, previously mentioned, why I have not taught English. Um, I knew specifically that I did not want to go into the classroom and teach, um, the different texts that made me hate English. I didn't like English as a student. I didn't feel like anything that I was reading pertained to me. I felt like I was there and I was there to just take in something about someone else. And I did what I needed to do to get the grade that I wanted to get. However, it added nothing to my life. And it wasn't until I went to college and um, in one of my literature classes, I was presented with different Black writers, different Latinx writers, different Asian American, Asian writers, the Joy Luck Club. I mean, Uh these types of texts. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So (laughs) there are people outside of white people who write. And there are good white writers, of course. However, I was only presented that one perspective. And so I knew going into the classroom that I did not want to have to do what you said before, which is do what admin tells you to do. You need to follow this curriculum and things like that. And curriculum is now becoming a little more diverse. However, before when I came into the classroom, I said, you know, I'm going to get in trouble all of the time if I Mm -hmm. Was teacher, so I decided to teach um, reading, which I later named critical thinking, and I was able to go in and teach various texts by different people, and I even began my semester reading the Paper Menagerie by Ken Liu, and it is a story about integration versus assimilation for. Um, the protagonist Jack, and he is an Asian American. 
and all of the things that he had to go through. And just me using that story to open up my semester, um, students looked at me very differently. And they're like, what's going on here? And I'm like, well, in this class, we're going to read everyone. You're going to see perspectives from the entire globe. And you don't have to be in in, an AP class in order to be exposed to the world of literature. You can do that right here in this this class that they consider a remedial class. And because of that, I had students take my class who didn't even need a reading supplemental class, but they loved the fact that we read so many different kinds of things. So that's why I chose to teach this particular class because I, I had autonomy and I created my own curriculum and I didn't have to follow the curriculum of someone who taught what I hated myself as a student. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and so it sounds like we have to start with where the students are, not where admin is, not with, you know, what we think, you know, ought to be taught, but what the students actually need and then build relationships with them. Well, the thing is, you absolutely can teach multicultural texts and uh-huh. fall directly in line with curriculum planning. Yeah, yeah. Um, to teach these texts does not mean that you are not teaching the curriculum and does not mean that you are not teaching the standards. You right. can use different texts to teach the standards that have been laid out for us to teach. Absolutely. And if the books that you're choosing are happen to be a part of the young adult genre, those books are actually pretty complicated and elicit some critical thinking that may students may not be able to engage with in the traditional canon just because they're not also having to unpack convoluted language or concepts that were originally written for adults. Well, the thing is, they they absolutely could. Yeah, yeah. But the the thing is, is that those texts, who the the texts that are called the canon, mm-hmm. um, what makes them? And what who decides? They, what we, you know, who decides who the canon? Yeah. Why are they a part of the canon? And there are comparable texts mm-hmm. that represent different people that are written as well. We yeah. just have to look outside of what we've always done. Yeah. And if you want something different, you have to do something different. And it doesn't mean that you are going below standard. It doesn't mean that you are doing anything outside of what you should be doing as an educator. You're just choosing texts that have that represent multiple cultures. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So based on you know what we've said so far, what would you say is the most important takeaway for English teachers or even reading teachers? in particular at the middle and high school level, or, you know, there's something left out that we really need to make sure we take into consideration as we're considering the curriculum and the choices that we're making in our classrooms, and especially considering the current context that many teachers are teaching in. So the main takeaway that I would give is you really have to build trust. Mm -hmm. Your students really have to trust you. Seeing them is the first component of building trust. Next, you want to make sure that you understand that our students really are our consumers. Um, Our students 
they are buying what we're selling. And if we are selling them something that they have no use of or no use for, they don't want it. And they will sit and they will go through the motions, but they won't necessarily uh, buy what you're selling. They won't engage in education. And that is what our, our hope is that students really engage with education and, and want more and more and become lifelong learners. And if they are feeling as if they are there consuming something that they really don't want, then I can't imagine them wanting to continue to do this thing. Lastly, I think that what I said before, just start somewhere. See your students. Take the time to go in your classrooms and get to know your students a little bit, a good week or so. And based on the students in different classes, then you could maybe determine what what text you want to read within. It may seem like it's more work for you. However, um, it's more rewarding when you get these students who are reluctant readers or students who really don't care about school and they they have that aha moment where, oh, I actually like to read. Oh, I actually like mm-hmm. school. I like literature. I love these things. And it took me um, until I was in my maybe early 20s in that literature class to have that aha moment. But I believe that our students deserve to have those kinds of moments um, yes. in middle school, in high school, even as, as early as elementary school. We just want to make sure that we are seeing them and we are presenting things to them that they understand. And what it will do is it it opens the door for those canonical works. Um, I became an English major. I went from hating English to becoming an English major because I had one professor that presented me with different works from different people. And it made me say, oh, I want to go back and I want to read all of those things that I was assigned before that I that I just rebelled against. And now I love Shakespeare. I, I wouldn't go anywhere near Shakespeare in high school, but I love Shakespeare now. Once I, you know, learn the different things and there's different, you know, topics and things of black people and brown people and other different people in other texts, but we are only kind of presented that one thing. So if we could just present all perspectives to our students, I think our students would be grateful for it. I completely agree with that. And that that was what I finally, it only took me, you know, maybe five years to figure this out, but I finally (laughs) figured that out. And I feel like I'm still in that process trying to figure out um, how to reach students. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, through my PhD journey, uh, particularly in the writing sphere, I can figure that out some more, and, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into that in this episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we could spend another 20 minutes, yeah. but yeah, I really appreciate, you know, the time that you've spent here today with us and, you know, the yeah. advice that you have offered over the years and having the opportunity to, hear your perspective and, and learn from what you've had to say. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you inviting me to speak about this. I mean, I'm always sounding the alarm on this topic. I walked into the classroom my very first day sounding the alarm on these things. So I'm just hoping that I can continue to spread the good word and just 
allow teachers the ability to just start somewhere and just to make a difference within their own classroom. It makes a big difference in the scope of a student's educational life. Excellent. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Looking for ideas this summer to help you engage students in reading in your classroom? I've got your back. I am updating the new curated short stories library with on-demand professional development to help you create your own lesson plans using what you know about your students and our resources. The library also includes an entire year of short story resources we have curated just for you. Who needs new textbooks? Not you. With our curated short stories library, you have links to PDF and or Word files of the short stories you need for your students. Even better, no more hunting for videos or audios to engage your students' interests. I have curated these resources for you and included them in an easy-to-access system on the Rethink ELA website. Just log into your account and download the resources you need to your computer, upload them to your school's private course management system, or display them on your classroom interactive board. Not a member yet? Just go to RethinkELA.com slash Curated Library and join us. Thank you for listening to Rethink ELA Podcast. I'm Michelle Waters, and I can't wait to give you a few resources I've developed to help you create a student-centered, collaborative, and creative learning environment. Download these resources when you join our mailing list at RethinkELA.com slash news.